What time is it? Game time! Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! Gives it to Jenkins for the championship! Davis! Oh my god! Davis is gonna run it all the way back! Auburn's gonna win the football game! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Game Time with Garrison Hardy and my co-host, Garrett Thigpen. It is good to be back with you. And by the way, folks, you can find this on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there. If you'd give us a listen, give us a five-star review. That would really help us out early on. But hey, I want to welcome in uh, Garrett from all the way out in North Carolina. Garrett, how you doing, brother? I am doing swell. It's uh, another great week of college football coming up. We got the NFL kicking off tonight. Mm. Great game. Um, yeah, couldn't be better. How, how, how are you? I'm doing well. Just like you said, a, a great weekend of college football. I pr- that's pretty much all I did, honestly. It's just sat in front of uh, my laptop and watched college football. <laughs> I'm trying out YouTube that's TV, fair. Fair. you know. Um, oh, nice! I, I using that as well. The, they got a, they got this free trial going on. Exactly so. three got, weeks, yep, yep. And, and you know it's exactly. sixty four dollars. Not bad. Um, so I may have to consider it because that it was pretty seamless. I'll give it that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I was. I was happy with that free trial. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Same here. Yeah. And based on that, like I said, I watched a ton of college football this past weekend, and we have a lot to get to um, with regards to uh, some of the big results that happened. So it, let's just jump right into it. And one of the games that you and I had mentioned, Garrett, last week was Utah and Florida. And I'll be honest, it was kind of a dud. <laughs> in, a little bit, a little bit. But to be fair to Utah, they were they had a banged up team coming into this one, and it was kind of a plug and play situation where, where Cam Rising he was out. Um, so they they kind of had went by committee, and my goodness, they made Florida look average. And that's just weird to say for an SEC team. Um, but uh, Utah really came out and made a statement. Yeah, for, I mean, anytime you can uh, pick up an SEC win like that week one with your starting quarterback out, um, I'm sure they're not going to be upset with it. I don't think that Florida is going to be great this year. Um, so I don't think it's anything to get too excited about. But um, I mean, I think that's definitely the worry when you got someone like Cam rising out and you got to take on Florida. You're, you're just you're just wanting to get through it with a win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's exactly what they did. So. Uh, they'll definitely be happy with that result. So, yeah, and um, I don't know if you noticed this. Um, you know, it, whether you just uh, took a look at the highlights or whatever, but Florida didn't. It just didn't really have that fear factor with the Gators of old. You know, their their defense was solid, but n- didn't really scare me. Their offense was just abysmal. Right. Um, and you know, Florida, I'm sure will come back and um, have a solid season. You know, don't get me wrong, but um, I just kind of looked and thought, you know, this roster just looks kind of average. I don't know, and and Utah just physically looked more imposing, which is just weird to say uh, against a Florida yeah. Gator team. Yeah, not what you'd think traditionally. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think that you're just. Florida, they're just, they don't have it. Uh, I don't know what it is. Um, the past couple of years, they've just kind of taken a downturn. They got 
helped out a lot having Anthony Richardson be the the playmaker last year. Um, but now, now with him gone, I just, I don't think that they're, I don't think they're up to par with some of the best in the the SEC. You know, I think right. they're going to be a pretty middle of the road team this year. Uh, but they've had, I mean, they've had great recruiting classes the last few years, so I wouldn't necessarily put it on just, on just the talent. Right. I don't know if it's, um, I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know what it is, but, um, yeah, it's, I don't think it's, I mean, I think I have confidence that with the recruiting and just being Florida, they're, they're going to be able to bounce back, but not sure if it's going to be this year. Right. And uh, for those of you listening, the final in that game, Utah took down Florida 24 to 11 and a very impressive start for the Utes there under uh, Kyle Whittingham. Now, moving on, we had some other big stuff. Um, Before we get to, I guess, the heavyweight matchup, I wanted to get your thoughts, Garrett, on that TCU Colorado game. I mean, here I am last week talking about, yeah, I'm just worried about the cohesion with Colorado. You know, they, <laughs> they got so many transfers, and I just don't know if they're going to be able to hang. And then Dion's team just goes out there and looks like they've been playing together for, you know, this is a group of seniors out there playing together. Um, it, they just they just looked impressive. And they go and and to be fair, this isn't the TCU of last year. Pretty much all of those players from the championship run are gone. But still, uh, the TCU was expected to to win this one big, and uh, Colorado they were impressive. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, w- I was with you. I didn't think I thought this year a bowl game would be a nice thing to shoot for. But I mean, yeah, I, I didn't expect them to come out. I didn't expect them to win the game, right. and I didn't expect them to. I don't know. Just I don't think. I mean, no one could have seen a 500-yard performance coming right. uh, from from Shore Sanders. But um, I mean, they, yeah, they looked they looked really uh, probably most impressive. Uh, first off, that was probably the best game of the weekend. Right, one mm-hmm. of the best games I've seen. Um, just maybe in years, such a high-scoring shootout. Yeah, I mean. And all the hype, it was just the hype around it, knowing that it was, I mean, it was TCU Colorado, a game that typically wouldn't be such a headliner game. And you knew it, it just felt like the whole world was watching this game, right. whether to see Dion succeed, whether to see him fail. It was just, you had to watch it. You had to see it. And mm-hmm. for them to come out and perform the way they did, it was just, I mean, it was, it was amazing to watch. And, yeah, you know, to see the transition from people like, from Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter, guys who were performing at the FCS level and seeing how they were able to translate that against a Power 5 school and a, a defense that, I mean, TCU's got a pretty solid defense as well. They have really good defensive backs. And, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. Travis Hunter was going up and catching balls right over a, a guy who's could possibly be uh he's really one of the best defensive backs in the in the nation and just seeing that they're able to perform at this level is uh is impressive and i think it should give a lot of encouragement to you know fcs players and fcs programs out there right um that you know the the talent is there so yeah i mean really impressive game sanders i mean i think both sanders i mean it'd be hard for someone like travis hunter uh to say he could win a Heisman, but I mean, I think both of them sort of threw their, uh, 
threw uh, their name into the into the conversation for sure. So right now, the um, nation's on notice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I, and another thing I noticed was it. You know, everybody talks about Coach Prime as oh, he's a great motivator. He's a player's coach. You know, he just knows how to talk to to college football or uh, to pro players. It wasn't just that. It, he this is a well coached team. Like there was a video I watched where Sam Acho, former Texas Longhorn um, on Fox mm-hmm. Sports, broke down the defensive possession where Travis Hunter got an interception at the five yard line, and he broke down how TCU was running a double slant play, and then they had a the running back running the wheel route out of the backfield. Mm. Basically, the Colorado defense was just so well coached in that the safety or excuse me the linebacker over the top. He saw his running back take off out of the backfield. It was man-to-man coverage, but he saw him run a wheel route. So he said, oh, that's no longer my responsibility. I'm going to take this first slant route that's coming towards me. And so he followed the receiver. And then the safety, who originally had that receiver, saw, oh, the linebacker's taking this guy. I'm shifting off to this the outside receiver running another slant over the top. And then Travis Hunter saw that. And saw the running back coming out of the backfield and knew, okay, my responsibility is also shifting now, and I'm taking the running back here, and that's how he got that interception. So just to see how well coached that Colorado was on top of the ability to put all these athletes together out on the field and you know, throw a bunch of transfers together and have them in a melting pot and come out and th- this is the product they put on the field. And Colorado still made mistakes here and there, but... They they looked fantastic and blew away my expectations. I'm sure they blew away a lot of people's expectations. And um, that was, again, uh, you could argue it was the game of the week. Um, great shootout. And um, I'm, I'm excited to see what Colorado does going forward. We'll talk about their uh, upcoming matchup here in a bit. But it was, it was fantastic. Travis Hunter, I mean, playing, what, 129-some snaps? Um, yeah, I think he, it might've been even more, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, just, I don't, I don't understand how you can do that. I mean, I feel like, you know, players are starting to get gassed just playing one side of the ball and he's able to play in, in a position. I feel like you're, I mean, that's an exhausting position playing cornerback, uh, and wide receiver a, and wide receiver running a lot of deep <laughs> routes. I mean, yeah, really impressive. And, um, just, uh, like I said, the receiving ability was on display with contested catches, mm-hmm. uh, and then defensively, the the pick you mentioned was just the way he, the uh, the quickness of which he broke on that ball. I mean, when the, when the quarterback threw it, I just assumed it was going to be a. I mean, you've seen that play a million times. Yeah. The running back running out into the open, right there. He had so much space. I mean, I assumed it was going to be a touchdown, but he broke on that ball so quick, and then the hands to to make that play was. Uh, I mean, really impressive. And he should have had another pick uh, yeah. later in the game when mm-hmm. he jumped a route over the middle that, I mean, he ran the route better than the receiver and should have had another one. So, yeah, I mean, he was really impressive. Um, right. And when he's got the talent, he was, you know, I, th- I believe the top rated player in the country coming out of high school. And so, um, yeah, I mean, he put it on display that he's, he's the real deal. So, yeah, he definitely did. excited to see what, I mean, you know, Colorado versus Nebraska is now one of the, going to be one of the highest watched games this week yeah and, um i mean everyone's everyone's just that's the talk of the town they say 
Right. Um, everyone's uh, everyone eyes are on Colorado for sure. Right. It, you know that that was funny. Um. Again, I was listening to Late Kick with Josh Payton. He had talked about how f- uh, big noon Saturday, Fox Sports had picked up Colorado for the first two games of the week, and people were making fun of them for it. Like, why would you want to watch Colorado? And now they just look like geniuses now that they're covering right, Colorado yeah. back-to-back weeks. So good job uh, over there. And Gus Johnson, once again, will be on the call. One of the most mm-hmm. uh, entertaining broadcasters in the game. So, uh, And then he's with Joel Klatt, who's just a – who knows? He actually played football at Colorado. Former, Yeah, former Colorado quarterback. That's right. And, and he's just a really fun guy to listen to. So um, good duo there. Uh, but uh, stay tuned. We'll have some more to talk about with Colorado as we look ahead. But let's backtrack now. Uh, we there's kind of a heavyweight matchup, so to speak, uh, this over the weekend, uh, Sunday actually, and um, LSU and Florida State. And again, I just look so smart. Think you know LSU playoff team. Trust me, folks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, same here. I, I was high on LSU. Yeah, and, in the playoffs. And to be fair, you know, we could still see LSU just totally turn this season around. And next thing you know, they've won seven or eight straight, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, maybe LSU." Um, but Florida State, they won forty-five to twenty-four off of thirty-one unanswered points to start the second half after trailing seventeen to fourteen at halftime. So it was a great first half. They were kind of going back and forth, but man, uh, Florida State just really came back and punched LSU in the mouth. And um, that to, to me, the difference uh, it was uh, Fl- Florida State size at wide receiver going up against LSU's transfer portal secondary, really. Uh, and to be fair, Florida State went out and got those guys in the transfer portal, uh, Keon Coleman. Uh, who looked like Megatron in that game <laughs> with three touchdowns, just going up over the top of the uh, opposing defensive backs and just make made them look like kids. Um, but man, Florida State just looked, they looked the part of a, a college football playoff team. Yeah, they really did. I mean, I we also talked about, how, you know, Clemson, uh, another potential playoff team. But I, part of that was because I didn't think Florida State was, I didn't think that they were, uh, you know, I didn't think they were there yet, but I think they proved a lot of people wrong and, you know, you really came out and showed that, you know, they're a contender this year um, as, and, and they looked amazing. Uh, I think that, like you said, um, the transfer portal did really well for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went out and got a lot of people, including Coleman, and they had an impact right away and they they really proved the, uh, the value of the transfer portal uh you know it's been I had a lot of talk with the loss clemson had that uh you know teams need to be more uh keen on the transfer portal so we'll talk about clemson's problems later but right um yeah i mean the, it was a great game 17 14 at halftime but i think it was just about a lot about lsu just a lot of the mishaps you know um two drives inside the red zone in the first half uh their opening drive got all the way down to the one yard line um Mm -hmm. and then got sacked on fourth down and then six uh, plays within the 10 yard line i think yeah they just could not convert fsu uh they're a lot more clinical on third down nine of 14 lsu three for 10 and you know oh for three on fourth down they just they couldn't finish off drives 
Um, they easily could have gone into this, uh, gone into the second half with a bigger lead than they did, and maybe we'd have a different ball game. But right at the end of the day, they didn't, and they really let the second half get away from them. Um, I mean, Jordan Travis really turned it on. The offense was rolling, and I think their defense for LSU just got gassed. And uh, you know, Florida State ran the ball. 12 times for 83 yards on the fourth quarter alone. I think they, they couldn't do anything offensively. They really just stalled out and the defense was on the field the whole time. And it was just an onslaught that they couldn't stop. So, right. I think they play this game again. Uh, you know, if they play it 10 more times, I think it's pretty even, uh, you're gonna have a lot tighter games generally. I don't think the score was necessarily reflective of how good the two teams were. Right. Like LSU is probably a lot better than they showed. Um, but I think FSU definitely proved that they're legit and they're a contender this year. So yeah, great game. And like you said, I think LSU still has a chance to turn it around. Just looking at their schedule, um, like I said, don't have to play Georgia. They're going to have a really tough test later in the year at Alabama. Right. But I think they still have a chance to, if they do run the table and they can win at Alabama, uh, they'll have a chance against Georgia potentially Georgia in the championship game to still play for a playoff spot. So right. season's not over, but it, I think it definitely exposed that they've got a lot of work to do that they do. Yeah. And, and again, for me, the, the secondary was the red flag when it came to LSU. Um, and you know, I didn't know this, but during the, when you look at LSU secondary and they're relying on a transfer from Syracuse and then Southeastern Louisiana or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you tell them, all right, go guard Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. And Johnny Wilson's a, a right. giant in his own right. Um, good luck. And both of them combined for 16 receptions for 126 yards and three touchdowns. Obviously, Keon Coleman had the three receptions there. Um, so right. that's an er- certainly an area that LSU is going to have to consider moving forward. But again, like you said, great game for Florida State. LSU, some stuff to clean up, but they could rebound um so don't give up on the tigers just yet um but yeah man florida state um impressive but speaking of tigers <laughs> there was another tiger that we were very high on and uh my gosh they just got embarrassed at the hands of the duke blue devils 28 to 7 and there was one statistic that would just really showed how bad this game was where duke uh they showed the uh four or five star players on the rosters oh right clemson yeah. with 56 and duke with one and yeah. duke just dominates 28 7 and let's be clear this wasn't a bad duke team like they won nine games last year um so yeah. this is a program that's on the up and up but Duke, you know, just throttled them, and Cade Klubnick just did not look good. Um, it the they really just this did not look like a Clemson offense with weapons. I mean, he maybe had Shipley out of the backfield uh, a couple of times who who looked good, but man, this just was a it, as Dabo's quote at the end said it all. I've never been a part of a game like that, and it. I, he's right. I when I think back of it, I can't really think of anything else. Will Shipley, maybe one of the lone bright spots. Seventeen carries, hundred fourteen yards. He was in the passing game as well, out of the backfield. Because Clubnick's receivers, he didn't really have any openings downfield. Which you got to give credit to Duke as well. But uh, the receivers, come on, go get some separation. Um. So yeah, that was just a disaster of a game for Clemson. 
And suddenly, you know, looking at the rest of the way, <laughs> I'm not super confident in Clemson being a big-time threat in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, I, I had high expectations for them as well. Um, I thought that they were going to be able to, you know, just, you know, this, the strength of their defense, the talent on the talent around the ball. You know, last year, the conversation was that Clemson's still really good. They're really talented. I mean, we, you know, you just mentioned how many four and five stars they've still got on their roster. Mm-hmm. Um, a talented roster on paper, but, um, you know, they, a lot of people were, blaming the shortcomings on not having a great quarterback and right. saying that DJ was the problem. And now they've got Klubnik coming in, who's, you know, five-star quarterback. And uh, everyone expected that to fix the problem. And they'd just go back to being as successful as they were with Trevor Lawrence or uh, Deshaun Watson. But mm-hmm. it, it, it really looked like they had a lot more problems than just the quarterback. You know, Klubnik didn't look great. Um, you know, right out the gate, you could see a lot of errant throws, just overthrowing easy screen passes or guys over the middle, but um, yeah, the problems are a lot more than, than just at the quarterback position. Like you mentioned, the, right. the, the receivers not getting open. Um, I mean, the defense, it's hard to say they, they didn't look as tough up front as they've looked in years past, but at the same time, the offense, you know, didn't do them a lot of favors. Right. Um, yeah. The offense was just, I mean, really, really struggling. Only the only score, uh, they scored one touchdown in the game, and it came off of a muffed punt when they started at like the 17 yard line. Right. And other than that, um, I mean, it they they got down, it they outgained Duke overall in the game, but they just stalled out so many times once they got into Duke territory. They had two blocked field goals and then fumbled it twice. Right. Uh, inside the 10 yard line. And it was just for, and usually when you see stuff like that, you'd put it on the coaching. And so, but at the same time, you've got Dabo Sweeney's been there for, for years and they've been so successful. It's hard to really say that it's Dabo's fault, but, um, I think it's a combination of, uh, the coordinators, you know, they have, mm-hmm. they don't have Venables anymore. They've got new coordinators coming in than they've had in the past when they were, dominating college football um it's a combination of that and then just not having enough talent on offense like you mentioned with the weapons right um i think those are the the two main things and a lot of that a lot of the talent issue and a lot of what people are talking about now is is can they blame Dabo his resistance to using the transfer portal and you know he was so against nil yeah um against the transfer portal is is that part partially to blame for their lack of talent and part of uh part of why they're having such a downfall you look at a team like florida state who was one of the biggest um biggest users of the transfer portal i think they ranked sixth in transfer portal on uh on the 247 right um but yeah you see guys like keon coleman come in and in first game he's scoring three touchdowns instant impact instant impact you got multiple people coming in and making an impact right away and, and uh, Wilson you, was from yeah. Oregon. Right. And you think, uh, uh, you know, if Clemson, who they were ranked 100 plus in the, in the transfer rankings, they, they barely they barely went after guys in it. You got to think if if Dabo had, is just a little more open to it, how much it could help their team. And is that something that's 
is that something that's hurting them? I don't, I don't know. It, it, it certainly seems to be when you see the success Florida State's had from it. Right. No, you, you brought up a lot of good points with regards to the coordinators moving. I mean, losing Venables, who really helped him build, uh, it helped Dabo build the program at Clemson. You know, and it took a while for Dabo to get things going. His first three years, I think the most wins he had was nine and then a couple of seven and six win seasons. But then Dabble really started to get things going, and Venables was a huge part of that. So it's a combination of new coordinators coming in, and um, I, this is this is not something that just happened. You know this this has been right. slowly bubbling up under the surface for Clemson for the past several years, really. And he, uh, Texas is an example of this for me. Like Texas with Mac Brown. You know they're they're winning a lot of games and they're consistently playing in New Year's Six bowls and then they have Vince Young and he wins a national championship and then they have Colt McCoy and I think Colt McCoy really covered up a lot of issues that Texas was having under the surface. Um, you know Mac Brown was starting to get co- new coordinators in there because you know if you're a successful coordinator at a championship winning program you're gonna move on. Um, mm-hmm. And Texas, you know, they get those new coordinators in. They're maybe not coaching at the same level. They're not developing talent at the same level. And next thing you know, once Colt McCoy left, it's like, oh my gosh, we're eight and five, you know, and this right. is, we're Texas. This doesn't happen. And I think we're seeing, you know, that maybe Clemson turns it around this year. Maybe they, uh, looking at their schedule here, um, you know, they, they rebound with Charleston, they beat Florida Atlantic and they look super impressive. And then they got Florida state coming to town on September 23rd. I don't think, uh, I don't think they're going to beat Florida state. Just looking at what I'm seeing thus far, but maybe they, you know, play them solid and competitively. Um, you know, Clemson could still turn around this year and have a good season, but college football is adapt or die. And mm-hmm. D- Dabo's, resistance yeah he's very much about building a culture and college he he resents what college football is becoming and part of me you know agrees with him i i i get it it's turned very much into a mini pro football in that you've got a bunch of free agents out there and now teams are just going up to go get them you know out of the transfer portal and it's College football's never been like this. The landscape has totally changed. The new TV deals, um, everything is just shifting. And I just think Dabo hates it. And But his inability to get past that and adapt and go out and say, all right, we're going to do it. Nick Saban was the same way, and yet he's still taking part in it, um, and he's right. adapting. Um, so for me, Dabo's either going to adapt and go in it or he's just going to retire like i i could very much see Dabo saying nope this i hate this i'm out um so it kind of an an interesting situation going on in clemson and um something that i really hadn't thought of before but as people had brought it up over this past weekend it makes a ton of sense yeah i mean he's famously said when the nil talks were in that as soon as players start getting paid he's going to retire right and maybe maybe he actually is true to his word which i mean it's a bit hypocritical and everyone was calling him out for it um given the massive contracts that he signed right 
and then saying players get paid i'm done so right which i mean yeah it's 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 a bit hypocritical and like you said it's adapt or die and even teams like alabama who saban's voiced his concerns but at the same time you know that that is the situation we're in and if you want to keep coaching and you want to be successful and i mean you got to do what you got to do so yeah i think he's gonna have to you know he's gonna have to really just come to terms with the fact that this is what it is now. And if he doesn't want to do it, maybe, maybe he does have to retire. Right. But right. Yeah, and, we'll see. And I mean, Clemson, I'm looking at the recruiting classes right now. And I mean, they're still bringing in some pretty legit prospects. Um, you know, they're bringing in a five, at least a five star once a year, it seems. Um, but maybe not as elite as they used to be. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at you, you. You have to scroll back all the way to 2015, 2016, when you would see those just ridiculous recruiting classes that they were bringing in that would result in some championships. You know, T. Higgins is a guy that comes to mind. Uh, Amari Rogers, um, that uh, Travis Etienne, um, and, and those guys were from back in 2017. You know, uh, it seems like ancient history. Um, right. To where now you're looking and that they aren't getting those five star guys. Um, it, you know, Cade Klubnick, you know, he was a five star, but um, they, they're just not bringing in quite as many as the elite talent. So, that, anyways, we're kind of beating a dead tiger here, but um, <laughs> yeah, you, it, it's adapt or die. Uh, the recruits are starting to dry up, and but he he probably hurt himself by talking about the NIL stuff this way, and recruits are thinking, huh? Well, I'm going to go where I can get paid and get set up potentially for the pros successfully. Whereas Dabo is very much about culture, building a culture and it was successful. Um, and yeah, and now he's just kind of going to have to try winning in a new way. And maybe he does that. You know, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that Clemson's program is over. You know, they could very well turn this around and um, Dabo could go on to win big in this new era. But if he doesn't adapt, then he's, he's done. So there you go. There's your update yeah, on Clemson. I agree. I agree. Um, now, one thing I noticed, and maybe you did too, was holy cow, there are a ton of commercials in college football these days. Um, it, to the fans at home, maybe you, you knew about the rule. The broadcasters, I think, did a pretty good job explaining it. Um, but now, when you get a first down, the clock does not stop for the chains to move. And uh, this is much more the NFL fashion. And the only times uh, that rule goes away is in the final two minutes of each half. So that's when the clock would stop for the chains to move. And the goal supposedly was, hey, we just don't want people to be watching three or four hour games every, you know, every game. Uh, This this will help speed up the game a little bit more, less standing time. And, um, you know, in theory, that sounded like a good practice. But what seems to have happened is they've gotten taken le- uh, they've taken less football and they've added in more commercials to the equation. Um, so, uh, Garrett, was that yeah. something you noticed over the weekend? Uh, I definitely noticed it. I've been it's probably been the last few years where I've started to really notice how many commercials are in both football and basketball, and because I, I think especially in our generation where we've grown up with streaming services and being, and you know, 
people of our age typically aren't really uh they don't really buy cable anymore they just have streaming services and they watch shows with no commercials anyway and so it really puts uh into perspective how many commercials when you watch live sports there are and you know as someone who's for the last few years been really annoyed by the commercials uh i could definitely tell a difference even just from the few games that we've seen this year just how many commercials there are i mean it it is ridiculous and i agree with the idea to try and shorten games i remember i watched uh i can't it was nc state versus un or ecu Mm -hmm. last year and it was like a four-hour game and it was just uh, yeah, I yeah I agree that games should be a little bit shorter and have adapting to like the I believe I, I'm pretty sure I would assume it's the same as the NFL now right with the uh, no uh, the uh, first down yeah, yeah, yeah. first down that's correct that's the only that's the only main rule change right right that's right as yeah. far as uh, time is concerned right so yeah I mean it's the same as the pros and if they're and I so I mean I, I'm fine with that I think it's a good idea, but the fact that it seems to be that they're just keeping the same time and just throwing in more commercials is uh, very, very annoying to say right. the least. Right. Um, I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know what we can can be done about it because now that they're doing it and making so much money from it, it's not like it's. I, I doubt they're going to see the numbers of viewers really decrease from it. Mm-hmm. To me, I mean, I feel like it's just something that we're going to have to get used to because they're there. Once they see the amount, the amount of money that they can make just by throwing in more commercials, um, I doubt that it's going to be a way to go back to it. But right. Maybe if enough people voice their concerns. But um, yeah, de- definitely a frustrating change. Yeah, no, I'm reading on Reddit right now that one of the comments says YouTube TV rolled out college football mixed channels with four games on the screen. It's a great free feature because you can watch Subway, Ford, Dr. Pepper and Bud Light simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> if you get bored with those, you can go to another mixed channel to see Burger King, Liberty Mutual, Allstate and Jeep. What a time to be alive. And that so somebody on Twitter actually posted a picture of their, you know, they had a the the that mix where you have four different games on at once. All of them were in commercial. It's insane. And uh, Chip Kelly from UCLA even had a quote about this where he uh, during halftime he said that this these new rule changes are insane. We had four drives here in the first half. I hope you guys are selling a lot of commercials. And that's exactly what they've done. So really, and I agree with you, they're going to be making so much money off of this because uh, everybody watches college football that the companies are just going to say, well, so what? (laughs) Why and all you want, we're making bank. And, um, you know, college football is just beholden to that. So they're going to keep rolling with it. Unless I think the coaches like Chip Kelly Unless they make big enough stink about it and it affects the game on the field, which at the end of the day is the product that we're paying to watch. If that's where that starts becoming an issue and we're seeing it affect the gameplay, then I could potentially see changes being made. Um, And I think, you know, I think we as the viewers have to continue to keep pressure um, in our in what capacity we can and continue to make a stink about it um, until changes are made because otherwise you know it's not going to matter and they're going to continue on making you know 
the billions of dollars that they do. So, right. Anyway, yeah, that's true. I mean, it, like you said, if you're watching um, during like the the normal viewing hour of games, it's it's you know you could always switch games during a commercial break. But when you got a prime time game, especially like the F right. uh, Florida State LSU game, that's why I noticed it most. Is because I mean that's the prime time game. Everyone everyone is wanting to watch that game week one. Right. And it's the only game on. And when you have to just sit there during the commercials and just sit there, it, it really becomes noticeable. It's 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 ridiculous. But I, I mean, I right. agree. You just have to voice your opinion. And um, hopefully more coaches uh, would will voice theirs as well. And potentially we can uh, cause enough uproar about it that they'll consider changing something. Right. And th- there was another Twitter profile that I followed who made a point of, hey, <laughs> here I am watching this Iowa game or something like that. And here was the here was the sequence. Touchdown. Uh, commercial point after attempt commercial uh oh here's the kickoff you know once the kickoff was done they did a quick commercial as they set up the next play oh timeout you know who timeout iowa commercial um Mm -hmm. so four commercials in the span of three plays that is unbelievable and if this is a trend that continues, uh, I, I certainly have my concerns as to the watchability. And heck, my dad and I are going to the uh, Washington State-Wisconsin game. More on that here in a bit. Um, oh. And the last time I went to a WSU game, I just remember you see that guy with the big red clock walk out onto yep. the field. And you know, yep. oh, here comes in another minute of just insanely loud music here at the stadium. And so <laughs> they're talking about, yeah, we want to lessen the game time. But really, they just want to, you know, <laughs> keep the game time the, the same. Just throw more commercials in there. Um, right. It, it's insane and it bugs the heck out of me but here we are with these massive tv deals so there you go folks um stay tuned on how that goes before we get to the uh, i guess technically the week two matchups uh the acc made a move this last week um really kind of adding some mediocre programs but they got some new tv markets as the acc adds cal stanford and SMU to the conference heading in next year or so. Uh, Garrett, what's your what's your initial gut reaction to uh, those three joining the conference? Uh, I don't. I mean, it's kind of just no big deal for me. Um, I don't think it's going to change too much. Like you said, pretty pretty average programs when it comes to football and basketball. It's not going to change the landscape that much i right. don't know how it's going to affect because i mean a lot of the the bigger teams were voting against letting them join um i don't know so i don't really know how it's going to affect some of these other teams from leaving mm-hmm. but you know if if it helps strengthen if i'm, I'm sure they i don't know if they're doing it in preparation of teams leaving or if maybe they think that they can strengthen the conference by adding them i, I really don't know but right um I mean, I, I, I'm fine adding teams if it helps just strengthen the overall, um, I guess, the overall strength of the conference. But uh, I, I really don't think it's going to change much just based on the the fact that, like, you know, they're, they're pretty mediocre sports programs. So, right. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't have too much of a reaction to it. I don't not too big of a too big of a move in my opinion right and i would agree with you this 
and this really irks me as a you know a fan of Washington State who is getting left out in the cold with Oregon State, uh, another program who does not deserve this in my opinion, um, and. They pick up Cal and Stanford. What have these two programs done in the last couple of years other than be below 500 average programs? It's just because they carry the name of Cal and Stanford. They're more academically prestigious, whatever you want to call that these days. And they've got Olympic sports. You know, that that was kind of the Pac-12's calling card, uh, at, you know, over the last 108 years. And um, it, they, but in the money-making sport of football stanford hasn't been good since what early 2010s um cal yeah i guess probably since andrew luck was there but somewhere around there they had it they they couldn't find a quarterback after andrew luck they just couldn't um you know so and cal probably the late early 2000s you know before 2010 hasn't really had a big run there was that random year in 2007 where they were number one in the country for a week and before that got knocked off again garrett and i'll have to do a deep dive into that season at some point but um yeah just two mediocre programs stanford has had some more success when it comes to basketball but cal is a bottom feeder in the pac-12 um so it's obvious they're just trying to open up the Bay Area TV markets and get into the West Coast. And then SMU, you know, they're in the uh, met, you know Dallas metro area, so that is a big TV market. And SMU has actually had some success when it comes to basketball here and there. But, again, there's nothing that's going to move the needle with the conference. They're not going to change the landscape at all other than making uh, long trips for uh, their new ACC buddies on the East Coast. Um, right or Cal and Stanford, I I feel bad for those guys. Hey, we're gonna go play Clemson this week. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're so we we gotta leave Tuesday to get out there, and um, yeah, it it's gonna be a nightmare logistically. Uh, but I guess this is where we are. So there you go, ACC adding a couple mediocre programs. That's not gonna stop FSU or Clemson from leaving down the road. Just yeah, throw that in there. Um, yeah. So, week two, we got some decent matchups here. Looking ahead, um, but and before and before we jump to week two, actually, uh, there's a couple other games that I suppose we can just check in on really quick, uh, like Ohio State and Indiana. Ohio State only putting 23 points on Indiana, 23 to three. And at the end of the day, it's a 20 point win. But uh, Garrett Buckeye fans probably not super thrilled with that stat line. Probably not. Uh, you know, the last new two new quarterbacks that they've had uh, have come in and lit the world on fire with uh, right. Justin Fields or C.J. Stroud. And, you know, it didn't really happen this time. So they might be a little concerned. Um, and I, I, I think they should be. I don't think that, I mean, when you got to compete with Michigan and Penn State. Right. Uh it's a bit concerning to have quarterback issues or just offensive issues in general. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this, it, it you know, I, I still think they're a great team, but right with the way that Michigan and, uh, um, uh, McCarthy looked, I just think, you know, I, I further cemented my belief that Michigan is the best team in the big 10 and, uh, will probably represent them in the playoffs. Right. 
yeah, I, I I would concur there. And, you know, Ohio State defensively looked pretty good. And, you know, they took out a conference opponent, which is always a good way to start the season. But uh, in that fashion, uh, that, you know, Josh Pate, um, I keep bringing him up, and he had an interesting point there in that, hey, just because you Ohio State fans are used to a high-flying offense is why your your hair's on fire here. If it had been a 45-21 to 21 win or something like that, you would have been fine. But because right. you know it was a twenty-three to three game, you know you're panicking. Uh, settle down. So he he seemed to be much more relaxed about it. But I I would tend to agree with you. And I look at Penn State; they're a team that I think you know is kind of a dark horse. You know they come out and beat West Virginia, Big Twelve team, thirty-eight to fifteen, and look good doing it. Um, they did know, look very good. Yeah, yeah. They've got athletes all over the field. Uh, they looks like they've got their quarterback situation figured out in uh, Drew Aller, um, twenty one of twenty nine, three hundred twenty five yards and three touchdowns in that game. Uh, rushing was good, receiving with uh, Keandre uh, Lambert Smith over hundred yards receiving. Penn State and their defense, Penn State looks legit. So Ohio State, they got some things to figure out moving forward. Um, a couple other games we mentioned: North Carolina, South Carolina. Tar Heels, again, repping the ACC, considering Clemson let them down. Yeah, UNC looked great. Um, I think that Drake May picked right up where he left off. He looks to be competing with Caleb Williams for being the best or the top quarterback taken next year. It's going to be hard to uh, supplant Caleb Williams, but uh, I mean, he looked he looked great. UNC looked really good. They're talented. I think that, you know, they're going to be competing in the top three with Clemson and Florida State for the ACC this year. And yeah, uh, South Carolina did not look as uh, not look as good. I don't think anyone expected too much out of them. But um, so, I mean, Spencer Rattler, he didn't look bad. He just didn't have right. any time. Uh, the offensive line really let him down. So it's kind of hard to really get a gauge for where he's at. But um, as far as the team goes, it's going to be a really tough year. And uh, and the SEC, if that's going to be the protection he gets all year, so right, yeah, good good win for UNC. Um, I think they're going to have a really strong year, but um, South Carolina might struggle. Right, no Rattler, uh, thirty of thirty nine for three hundred and fifty three yards. So he certainly moved the ball around the field, but um, as is typical with a Mac Brown coach team, it was a very much bend don't break kind of thing and South Carolina right. only gets 17 points on the board North Carolina wins 31-17 in that one improving to 1-0 and uh, the only other one we had kind of mentioned in passing last week was Washington versus Boise State I watched that one Washington 56-19 to beating a, a Boise State team that won 10 games last year handily and you know I'm sure Boise State lost a lot of talent from that team, but um, Washington gave uh, Boise State quarterback Taylor Green a lot of issues. He threw 19 of 39, um, so completion percentage didn't look great. But I tell you who did look great was Michael Penix Jr. 29 of 40, 450 yards, five touchdowns, and uh, he was just slinging that ball around the field. And Washington looked good defensively. They looked good offensively. Um, Big Ten teams, I'll bet, are taking notice. And uh, uh, kind of a, I'm going out on a limb here, but I think the Pac-12 is one of the deepest conferences this year. And I, I'm not saying they're the most talented or they're the most elite, 
but I would say there, you know, there's six teams probably in the Pac-12 that uh, are could give a lot of teams issues, and especially you look at Oregon State, uh, who granted they was against San, San Jose State, but uh, they looked good. And uh, DJ, uh, how do you say his last name? DJ Ungulele. Ungulele, yeah, twenty of twenty-five, two hundred thirty-nine yards, three touchdowns, got in on the ground as well. Uh, so, anyways, uh, Pac-12. Uh, they're they're impressive off to a 13 and 0 start yeah. usc played two games so yeah great week for the uh the pac-12 um yeah i i agree i think they probably are the deepest conference as far as you know um elite level or close to elite teams go they've probably got the most they got a lot of great quarterbacks right. um you know michael Penix. he did throw his name probably into the heisman race uh, a lot of people are considering i mean it's gonna be tough this year there's a lot of good quarterbacks competing for it but right um yeah washington did look really good um and yeah yeah really deep conference and now colorado's throwing their name in the ring and Shadur sanders is yeah, good another grief. another team to put into the the conversation with elite pac-12 teams so yeah really tough conference this year and, and it, you know it it's it's good for the conference i mean i guess it doesn't matter at this point but right uh, it shows the strength of the conference, but at the same time, they're probably going to beat each other up, and yep, yep. it's going to be tough to send someone to the college football playoffs. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, as a as a whole, the conference has looked really strong to start the year. That's right. So looking ahead to, to week two, now we've got some interesting matchups this week, um, and one of them is close to home for you, Garrett. It's uh, number ten Notre Dame coming to town to take on NC State. Oh, yeah. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I'm. I'm not super high on NC State this year. Uh, they they lost a lot from the last few years when I liked them a little more. Um, I think that Notre Dame is looking really good this year as well uh, with Sam Hartman. He's been on fire to start the year. Not mm-hmm. great competition, but I think that Notre Dame is, I mean, they're a really talented team and all they've been missing for the last few years is a quarterback. So. Right. I think that I, I think Notre Dame's pretty legit this year. And as far as NC State goes, I mean, a lot of questions, especially at quarterback. I mean, Brendan Armstrong, he, you know, really good two years ago, not so great last year. Uh, State kind of struggled at UConn. They got the job done. Right. I mean, the passing game is just not really there. And it's going to be hard to really beat someone like Notre Dame. Um, just running the ball like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Armstrong, he looked, Brennan can run the ball really well. Uh, he looked good on the ground, but I just don't see how we're going to be able to, to beat them with such a weak passing game defensively. I think we're okay. I mean, um, the front seven for NC state's really good. And I think that we'll be able to stop them to an extent, but I just don't I, question marks on the offense. I don't know if we're going to be able to move the ball against them. I think it'll be a good game. I, I would love for state to win. I think it'll be, I think a close game, but at the same time, I, I still don't see NC state winning it, but we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, there you go. Our resident NC state expert, given his verdict there, um, Utah and Baylor. You know, this, this was a game I had kind of circled, earlier you know before the season kicked off but man baylor kind of came out and laid an egg uh, against texas state they were 27 point favorites in that game and baylor just 
chokes 42 to 31 the final they also don't have their starting quarterback uh this week at against utah uh so i'm looking at this game and thinking well utah's getting out to a 2-0 start am i am i off the ball there uh i don't think so i don't see this game is uh the spread is utah's favored by eight points i don't see how that's even i don't see how bailey keeps it that close i mean right I don't think that I, 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 it's, it's in Waco, but I just, in my opinion, I kind of expect Utah to go in there and just roll past him with ease. So, right. We'll see. We'll see if Baylor can turn things around with, uh, the choke job last week, but yeah, we'll, I think, um, I think Utah's going to have a pretty easy win in that one. Speaking of choke jobs, uh, Texas tech, did you see, did you see that Wyoming game last week? I didn't see it, but I saw that. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it, it was a rough one for them. It was, and so Texas Tech lost last week to Wyoming, thirty-five to thirty-three in overtime. Very exciting finish. I stayed up late and watched that one, but I'm on the West Coast, you know. It's so, West Coast guys, exactly. Watch all the late games. That's right. So, and boy, did I was I rewarded. Uh, Wyoming gets the win there, two point win. And to be fair, this is a Wyoming program that. Uh, is always a, a, a kind of a tough outing. Um, they always are pretty solid defensively, uh, and they always churn out these random superstars in the NFL, like, oh, I don't know, Josh Allen. Um, but in years past, you know, they had NFL guys on their defense too. So uh, Wyoming, a very quietly good program, and they got Texas Tech. Well, now Texas Tech welcomes 13th-ranked Oregon, and it, this is an Oregon team who just put up 81 Against Portland State, I feel bad for the duck over there. He had to do what five hundred some push ups by the end of the <laughs> day. <something> ridiculous. <laughs> he probably probably dead. They got a new student in there as the mascot. But um, I just think you know Texas Tech is still figuring some stuff out. Whereas Oregon, they've got a very veteran squad coming to town. Bo Nix, he's another Heisman consideration there. He's been playing college football for fifteen years. Um, it, I just think Oregon with the athletes they have. That uh, they're going to roll into Lubbock and it, it's going to be a doozy, and Oregon will probably win, you know, uh, uh, handily in this game. Yeah, another uh, very similar to the other uh, to the Utah game. I mean, Oregon's only favored by six and a half, and mm. I don't understand that line either. I would expect Oregon to win big, uh, but oddsmakers think it's going to be a little closer. We'll we'll see, but yeah, I'll, I like Oregon in that one as well. Another Pac-12. I guess Big Ten game, uh, and this is an old rivalry here. It was funny. I actually just watched randomly the YouTube recommended the 2001 Colorado versus Nebraska game, and that was when Nebraska mm. was number one in the country in Colorado, 15th, and they beat Nebraska 62 to 36 in Boulder. And uh, now the Buffaloes. Fast forward to 2023, they're welcoming Nebraska in. Uh, ranked 22nd in the country after their opening week win against TCU. Um, and that, to me, Buffalo's got to be the favorite. Nebraska, they're going to be solid. And uh, they pushed Minnesota last week. They lost 13-10, to another heartbreaker for Nebraska fans. Um, they're, gonna, they're tough against the run defensively for Nebraska, but Colorado's good through the air. <laughs> so um i think nebraska is in for a tough tough outing 
Um, I don't trust their quarterback play. I mean, you look at Jeff Sims. He was 11 of 19 for 114 yards, one touchdown, three picks. And that was against Minnesota. Um, Yeah. You know, I'm still got some question marks with with regards to Colorado's defense. Um, But, you know, if if Colorado comes out and just stuffs Nebraska offensively, that might answer some questions there for the, the rest of the doubters. But to me, Colorado's got to be favored in this one. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think everyone's kind of riding the hype train of Colorado. Um, and Nebraska's, you know, the last few years has been a, a dumpster of a team. And I don't, I just don't see. Colorado's only favored by th- another one. I don't understand the line. Colorado's only favored by three at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't see them losing this game. Um, the only I think the only chance Nebraska has is potentially if they can just overload the box and really just disrupt the offense. Maybe with the blitz, uh, right. maybe they can overpower the Colorado offensive line and just try and disrupt uh, Shadour Sanders. But I think if they can't do that and they let him step back there and do what he did last week, obviously not through for 500 yards, but right. if they let him sit back and, you know, pick his spots, I think they're just going to get run over. So, right now, maybe they can, maybe they can bother him, but if they can't, if not, I don't, I don't see how they keep this game close. Right. I guess here's the one thing that I'll say for Nebraska is if you want to talk about an unlucky program for the last year or so, uh, what uh, Coach Freeze from when he went from UCF to Nebraska, he probably coached the best three and nine team I've ever seen <laughs> in, the, in that every one of those games. Uh, I watched a YouTube video on this and they covered every single game of the season and there were numerous games like that he took Michigan to the wire. They lost by three or something like that. They lose by three to Northwestern at the very end. Uh, they lose by just a touchdown to Wisconsin. They lose by three to Iowa. You know, it, the, the list goes yeah. on. And so if this Nebraska team can just frustrate this Colorado team and stay close to them, you know, you can make the argument that, well, if they stay close to everybody else and lose, and that's that's right. just been their mojo the last couple of years. But if they can just frustrate Colorado to where they're thinking, wait a minute, we put up 45 last week. I'm Shadir Sanders. I threw for over 500 yards. Why can't I do that against Nebraska? Um, yeah. Maybe, you know, if they, if they can affect them that way mentally – um, and they, it's closer than people are thinking, and they hang with them. Maybe Nebraska can go in and pull that off. So that's probably the the yeah. danger that Colorado's got to keep an eye on, and I'm sure uh, uh, Dion is telling his team that. So we're just gonna have to wait and see. Yeah, I think they don't have the skill positions really to just you know get into a shootout like last week with them. I think they're gonna have to, like I said, just disrupt the pass game up front. Right. And maybe try and slow the game down a little bit offensively. Stick to the try and stick to the run game, and uh, try and play a bit of a bully ball with them, and right. hope they can uh, overpower them that way. Oh, if, if, yeah, we'll see. It should be a good game. Yeah, if uh, Colorado, it, 
like you said, they would they would love to be over thirty points, thirty five points, drop forty, you know, somewhere in there. Nebraska, yep. if they have any chance, to me, this would be one of those seventeen to sixteen, just ugly grudge matches, and that's mm-hmm. that to me is where their hope has to lie. So, yeah, yeah, there's Colorado there. Uh, elsewhere, you've got uh, Michigan and UNLV. Not much to talk about with that one, but uh, that's game two without Harbaugh. Um, Michigan should roll handily there in their second warm-up game of the season. <laughs> but um, elsewhere, this is kind of an interesting one here. Tulane and Ole Miss. Tulane, they're an interesting program in that, what, three years ago they went 2-10, and ten, and then the next year they win 10 games and beat USC. What a turnaround. Huge turnaround, yeah. Crazy turnaround. And now they welcome the 20th-ranked Ole Miss Rebels to town. In their, uh, Tulane's also got a pretty small stadium, I think right around 30,000 seats. Um, but very packed in, very on top of the action. And uh, they get to see an SEC team come rolling into town. And this is a Tulane team that also competed against the likes of Oklahoma in years past. And, you know, uh, they played them tough, uh, lost by a couple of possessions in the end. But nonetheless, this, this Tulane team has some talent. So uh, this is a game that I have circled as a potential upset alert for Ole Miss um, at, at Tulane. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it, they really put themselves on the map with the win over USC last year. I don't, not a team I'd normally pay attention to, but, um, you know, if they can carry that momentum into this season and then get a big win over Ole Miss, I think, I think people will start paying attention to them. Right. And now Ole Miss is coming into uh, this game with a win against Mercer where they put up 73 points in that one, 73 to three um, for Ole Miss. You know, it was a, it was a field day for Jackson dart who threw a lot of darts, 18 to 23, 334 yards there. Yeah, no, thank you, thank you. Uh, four touchdowns for him, and then uh, his wide receiver Trey Harris, who uh, I'm keeping an eye on for sleeper fantasy football next year. Uh, six receptions, mm. 133 yards, and four touchdowns. That's a pretty good day wow. at the office. So the question for me uh, is: uh, Can Tulane match up with Ole Miss physically uh, and stop the likes of Dart and Trey Harris? Um, but Tulane, you know, they've got some players in their own right. Um, they, they had a pretty successful day in South Alabama. Again, not the same caliber of, you know, Ole Miss, but, uh, Michael Pratt was near perfect in that game, 14 of 15 for 294 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, they have a stable of backs. It was pretty by committee, you know, Makai Hughes, Michael Pratt and Shedro Lewis, all of them rushing about the same number of times. So it'll be a running back by committee. And then uh, they've got some pretty good receivers in uh, Jaquan Jackson, oh, who he had over 100 yards in that game. Lawrence Keyes, just under 100. Um, and then defensively, they're a pretty stout unit when they need to be and kind of bend, don't break. Um, so, again, folks, interesting game down in Tulane. Um, let's see. There was one other game that we wanted to talk. Oh, you know, Texas at Alabama. <laughs> um, <laughs> the game of the week yeah you know no big deal um f- folks this is uh, to me lsu you can make the argument lsu and florida state was the big early season game uh in rankings wise you know they, they're you know higher up but uh this was probably the game with regards to like tradition and pageantry that i had circled in number 11 right, texas right. at number three alabama this is just a big one yeah, I mean, 
it doesn't get any bigger than this. Uh, you saw they had a great game last year. They get the rematch this year. Um, yeah, it's going to be, I think, a good game. I think that uh, it's probably going to come down to the wire. I My money's on Alabama. Being at Alabama, I think, is going to be the difference in this one. Right. Both teams are having question marks at quarterback. But I think that uh, I think that Alabama's got a little more of an identity with who they are. They they're not going to expect Milrow to come out there and throw for 500 yards. They're just going right. to play their game, use the physical, uh, sh- the strengths that they have physically, and try and run the ball. Use the strength of their defense, and they got kind of a clear identity. Whereas Texas, they got question marks at quarterback because you know Quinn Ewers hasn't he hasn't really lived up to expectations. He had a kind of a rocky year last year. Right. And didn't look didn't look great their first game. And so, you know, but they're, they're really going to, I think, need him because a lot of their strength lies in the weapons outside and the skill positions. And, you know, they, they are a talented team. I would say that overall, they're about as talented as Alabama. But, right. you know, when so much of that relies on the, the quarterback play and be able to distribute the ball around the field, you know, I think the question mark there is going to be uh, kind of a difference maker. So, um, and, you know, I think they're both talented teams and they're both pretty even on paper, but Alabama at home is just, mm-hmm. I, they've, they've won 33. Sh- they've won their last 33 home games. What's your point? Except, no, I'm just except, <laughs> except they lost once. And that one loss was to Joe Burrow and LSU mm. when they went undefeated that year. So uh, other than that, their last 33 games at home, they've won. So, I mean, it's just tough to go in and win at Alabama. So I think ultimately that's going to be the difference maker. And, you know, they're, they're going to play to their identity and play to their strengths. And so I, I, my money's on Alabama. And that, I'd say that's a pretty safe bet. Um, um, you look at Alabama and the history and just the tradition that Nick Saban has instilled in that program. Um, yeah, For me, I don't know why, but I'm leaning towards Texas. And really? it, you just, again, you look at the history, you're like, Garrison, what are you thinking? Well, I'll just wait a minute. All right. Not so fast, <laughs> my friend, as Lee Corso would say. Um, you, you look at Alabama's recent history. Uh, they've been a lot more beatable uh, when it comes to just, you know, in years past, this would be a prototypical Nick Saban game where he just goes out, Bama wins 49 to you know, three or something like that. Um, but it hasn't been the case recently. You know, last year they had, uh, let's look at their schedule. They went to Texas and they beat them 20 to 19. And you could make the argument that if Quinn Hewers doesn't get hurt in that game, that uh, maybe Texas pulls off that win. He started really hot in that game before he got hurt. And uh, then he, you know, had to walk off the field and then they had a guy by the name of Bryce Young at quarterback who went 27 of 39 on the day didn't throw for a lot of yards uh, 213 but he didn't make mistakes and they got the win Uh, Quinn Ewers was 9 of 12 for 134 before he got hurt and then Hudson Card had to come on the rest of the way Um, so you know if uh, Ewers is able to stay on maybe Texas wins 
Um, and then going forward for the rest of the season, you know, Bama had close games against the likes of a mediocre Texas A&M. They lost to Tennessee, and this was a Tennessee team. Kind of reminds me of this Texas team with regards to offensive talent. You know, you, you had uh, Hyatt, who just ran all over Alabama in that game. Um, who, yeah, let me see if I can find his uh, receiving numbers here. Yeah, Jalen Hyatt, 207 yards on six receptions for five touchdowns in that game against that vaunted Alabama. And to be fair, it was at Tennessee. So, you know, maybe the game would would have gone differently if it was at Bama. But uh, they, so they lose to Tennessee, fifty-two to forty-nine. They struggle against Ole Miss, thirty to twenty-four. They lose to LSU, thirty-two to thirty-one. Again, I mentioned that Texas A&M game that was twenty-four to twenty. Um, and then the, the the aforementioned Texas and Bama last year. So uh, I look at this Texas team, and uh, they have a lot of talent on the outside, much similar to that Tennessee team from last year. You know, they have the likes of uh, when I when I look at their outside here, they have the likes of uh, Xavier Worthy. They have Jordan Whittington, Jatavian Sanders, Jonathan Brooks, Adani Mitchell. All these are guys that can go out and ball and they're top top of the depth chart. You look at Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington. Those are guys that can just go up and get the ball and win a one on one matchup. So uh, to me. This Texas team, if, now this is a big if, but if Ewers can start the game out on fire, because they didn't look great against Rice in week one. Started slow, uh, some timing issues and whatnot, which against Bama, those windows just get smaller and smaller. Um, so I, I, I could so I could totally see a world where Bama just starts out super strong and Texas just looks out of sorts. And then then we could have problems. But I can also see a world where Texas starts out really hot. Quinn Ewers is throwing the ball over the place. Suddenly it's 17 points on the board for Texas in the first quarter. And Bama's starting to think, oh my gosh, how many points are we going to have to score to win this game? Is it going to be a you know 48 to 45 kind of game? What's going on here? Um, and Bama's got a good secondary this year. This to me, uh, Garrett, I think you already mentioned this, but Bama this year looks more prototypical Saban style compared to past couple of years where they're going to rely on their right. run game, their offensive line. Their offensive line is one of the best in the country. Uh, so, uh, But Texas's defense has a, an attitude adjustment in their own right and that this is not the Texas in pass where they're going to give up 50 points, most likely. Um, they're a tough run defense in their own right, and they've got athletes all over the field. So to me, I I don't know why, but my gut is leaning towards Texas in this one. Um, a very, It's going to be a very close game either way. If Bama wins, it's going to be close. You know, Maybe they uh, score a late touchdown to make it a two-possession game, but it's, it's going to be a game that I think uh, if Texas wins, you know, it's close as well. Um, so either way, I think we're going to have a barn burner on the field, but my money is on Texas, and I don't know why. Call me crazy. I mean... I can see it. I, I agree. I think if viewers and the offense can get rolling uh, and they get into, like you said, if they can get into that shootout style game, then I would favor Texas based on the weapons. And um, yeah, but I just, um, I, I, I think, and I have a feeling with the game being at home 
and just the experience of Saban and right. you know the identity they have in playing a tough game offensively and he's also twenty eight and two against former assistants. <laughs> That's true. Yep. Yep. They got a lot working for him. So yeah, I think you know I, I'll have to. I would have to stick with the safe side and say uh, say Bama wins this one. But I, I, again, I agree with you that if if Texas can get rolling and if Ewers can uh, can find a rhythm, then I think that they do have a shot. So right, yeah, we'll we'll see. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Garrett picking the safe option. So whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll join you on the Texas bandwagon right. game time. We'll see. I yeah. would like to see Texas win. I think it'd be exciting. I think college footballs. It's it's good when some of these traditional powerhouses are are relevant, like a Texas or a, right. a Florida right. State or Miami, things like that. I, I like seeing those programs do well. So, uh, I would I wouldn't hate seeing a, a Texas win. Yeah. But. No, no. It'll be a tough one. It'll be a tough one. It definitely will be a tough one. Uh, either way, that's going to be a great game. Uh, kickoff is at 4 p.m. this Saturday. Uh, you can find that. At, well, it's going to be prime time. It's going to be on ESPN. You can find it there. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet is going to be on the call. Always just one of the classic voices of college football. College game day is going to be there. It's going to be a packed house. Um, uh, before we go, there's a couple other games on the side. That you know, uh, we figured we would just touch on before we go. How about one of the most in two of the most that is inconsistent programs in recent memory? Texas A and M versus the U of Miami. Uh, what's your gut thought on this one? My, I look at Texas A and M. They had a pretty good opening week against uh, New Mexico. They're based on their recruiting alone. I just kind of feel like they've got the athletes to come away with the win in this one but this is also a game where they would choke so i don't know yeah i'd say you never know uh both talented teams and i think teams that are looking to get back to where they feel like they should be i i would i would have to say texas a&m i think they're just the better team but you know miami looked good against miami of ohio proven that they're, they're the real Miami. So, <laughs> By the way, yeah, um, that quarterback for Miami, Ohio, saying, oh, we're the real Miami, and then they lose 38-3. <laughs> to three. Just, oh, don't don't talk. I mean, <laughs> why are you giving them the bulletin board material, you know? Right. Just not, not smart. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that either whatever team wins, it's going to be a big win for them just to kind of, I don't know, just be a, a statement win, you could say, especially for Miami, if they can beat Texas A&M, that would be, I think that would be huge for them and a big confidence boost. But I think that Texas A&M is just, I think they're the better team. I don't think Miami's quite there yet. So I would uh, expect Texas A&M to win this one. There you go. And then the last game uh, I want to touch on here is Washington State hosting 19th ranked Wisconsin this Saturday at 4:30. I'm going to be in the stands with uh Pops and uh you know last year Washington State went to Madison and got the win. It was a pretty low scoring defensive affair that coach for Wisconsin is no longer with them for obvious reason. Um but uh yeah, was uh, WSU marched into Madison and just looked impressive doing so. Um but now Madison or Wisconsin, that is, is seeking some revenge here. Uh, this is the first time Washington State has hosted a Power Five team since 1988. 
uh, a non-conference Power Five team that is at home. Wow. Um, so this there, it's a sellout. You know whatever they call that because you know you can always still probably get game on stub or tickets on StubHub and whatnot. But <laughs> right, right, right. But it's going to be a packed house, which in Pullman that's a big deal. And uh, you know I've I. I could see this going one of two ways. I could see Wisconsin come in, establish a run game because that's probably the best way to beat WSU is if you got the bigger size and you got the bigger athletes, establish the run game, which is kind of funny because Luke Fickle was talking about how he wants to be more balanced than Wisconsin teams in the past. Um, so more more throwing it downfield. But I just think if I'm an opposing coach, I just try to run it down WSU's throat. Just power right. them over because they've got smaller, speedier defense. Um, and if you're WSU, I just try to stack the box and say, you know what? You go ahead and try to throw it over the top. They they got a pretty good secondary here at WSU, and uh, they looked good against Colorado State. Granted, Colorado State only won three games last year, but I digress. Um, they looked pretty good there defensively. Um but and WSU does have Cameron Ward, who he's prone to make some dumb mistakes here and there. Uh, but he threw, you know, 37 of 49, 451 yards, three touchdowns. He's another Pac 12 quarterback who just doesn't get as much limelight because he's at WSU. But, but underrated. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, Jaden Hicks, he was one of the top rated safeties in the country off of last week's performance. He had uh, two. Uh, tackles, five assists, sack, or, and then a sack as well as an interception. Um, defense just gave fits to Colorado State. And then the receivers, Lincoln Victor, 11 receptions, 168 yards last week. So um, if, if I'm Wisconsin, I try to establish the run and just power through WSU. If I'm WSU, I to me, getting the ball out into the open, letting Cam Ward get creative, uh, you force a couple of turnovers on Wisconsin, you get the crowd into it, and uh, suddenly, you know, the, the momentum can carry itself. I've I've seen this WSU team in years past beat. You know, this is back when Mike Leach. And by the way, getting off topic here, but the Cougs are going to be wearing <laughs> the uh, last uniform combo that coach leach had the team wear for his final game with wsu oh, that's nice. That's nice. so a, a tip of the cap there to the pirate um go win it for him um gonna be a very uh, and i think wsu um they have a chip on their shoulder i would say with regards to hey we're getting left out of the deal here with the, this conference realignment um so they're gonna want to go out and put on a great performance should be a fun game yeah, that- them in Oregon State gonna try and uh, make some noise this year. And say, what about us? You know, that's right. And honestly, I, I I could see that this is just a guess here, but I could see the Big Twelve maybe making a move late for Oregon State, Washington State. They kind of match all the other schools as far as their land schools, you know. Um, and um, you know, maybe, maybe the Big Twelve comes a calling. So there you I go. I could see it. I could see it. Um, I'm looking at the schedule here, and uh, maybe the only other game to briefly touch on would be uh, Stanford and USC. Stanford off to a decent start, uh, but USC just overwhelming when it comes to weapons. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think they're gonna have no problem taking down Stanford. Uh, another chance to watch Caleb Williams. Maybe another chance for the defense to prove themselves before. Um, 
before conference play starts when they have to be going up against all these great quarterbacks in the Pac-12. But yeah, it should, shouldn't be a problem for him this week. There you go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've talked a lot of college football and uh, we've given our our picks and our opinions Texas and Alabama. Uh, if you would do us a solid and you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, uh, give us a look there and uh, give us leave us a five-star review as well. You can find us on Spotify too. Um, uh, but that's going to do it for this episode of Game Time with Garrison and Garrett. For my co-hosts, Garrett Thigpen, I'm Garrison Hardy. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week after we've probably gotten all of our picks wrong. Stay tuned.